look at this smile. Can you tell I'm excited? <laughs> I am so beyond excited and grateful and thrilled to have this conversation with you on the podcast. A big welcome to you to much. you, Dr. Herman. I'm I'm thrilled. And um, I guess we'll start with really your book, which has been um, foundational, um, just giving us survivors of developmental and complex trauma a name mm -hmm. and validation for the first time and owe you so much gratitude for that. And, um, you know, I have my own story about that, which I'll maybe share a little bit, but your book, Trauma and Recovery, was the first book that I went, oh my goodness, this explains what I'm going through. Finally, there's an answer. And so I, I took that book, actually, yeah. my story with developmental trauma was happening, at least the symptoms were showing up really around the time your book came out. I was a young mom and I was experiencing very typical PTSD symptoms from developmental trauma and was going from therapist at that time to therapist and not really getting any way. And finally, I said, all right. I'm going to go to the expert of experts, which is a doctor of psychiatry, and they're going to tell me what's happening. So I went to see a psychiatrist. I was very ashamed. I'm sorry to say that, but I was because in my mind, I had a lot of thoughts around that. But I figured I'm going to do it because they're going to help me. They're going to name it. And I went and I did some testing and she came back and said, you have anxiety. I'm sure you heard this a million times, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, help yeah. me. What can we do? And basically it was, you need to do CBT. Yeah. And I spent the next many years being told you really need to do CBT. And one day I read your book and I walked in with your book and I went, I think I know what's going on. I just read this book and I think I have complex PTSD and she had a face that had no expression. Yeah. And we left it at that. And I continued for a couple of years until I just dropped the subject and then stopped going and then found my own um, private uh, psychiatrist and psychologist that evaluated me. And I had complex trauma. So Thank you for everything that you have done. So can you tell us about how your book came to be? Um, Trauma and Recovery. Yes, your first book. We'll talk about the second book after. But, uh, well, let me back up because that was actually my second book. My Oh. Yeah. My first book was published in 1981. And it was called Father-Daughter Incest. And um, I, I mean, I owe that and everything else in my career to the women's liberation movement. It's as simple as that. I was in the consciousness raising group at the same time that I was doing my residency in the early 1970s. And my first two patients on the inpatient service were women who'd made suicide attempts 
And they both told me, they both disclosed histories of father-daughter incest. And at that time, the comprehensive textbook of psychiatry estimated the prevalence of all incest cases at one per million. Well, they they it was a you know maybe one in a hundred, so they were only off by four orders of magnitude. But um, the you know the received opinion at that time was that this is what women fantasized about. Freud. Yeah, it, it went back to Freud's repudiation of his original discovery, which was that. Uh, hysteria, as it was then called, uh, was uh, uh, originated in childhood sexual abuse. Um, uh, but I, you know, I had been listening to the women in my consciousness racing group, and this was a pretty privileged group of white college educated women. And there was quite a bit of sexual domestic violence in people's experiences. And so, um, so I, I validated what my patients were telling me and guess what? They started to get better, you know? Mm. Um, so everything really grew from that. Um, by the time after that book was published um, in the early 1980s, I, also joined the uh, Department of Psychiatry at um, Cambridge Hospital, which was had really just begun a, an affiliation with Harvard Medical School and become a teaching hospital. And it was a very creative place at that time. And so um, when the city of Cambridge appropriated $6,000 for services for crime victims. Um, they, uh, and, and, you know, the, the people running the department were all guys and they weren't interested in that. Mm -hmm. but they hired me and a psychologist named Mary Harvey to, to do that. And that's how we started the Victims of Violence Program. And so there we were seeing lots more um, survivors of sexual and domestic violence, uh, both men and women, mostly women. Um, and so it's at that time that I began um, participating in a study group that was being organized by my colleague, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, about trauma in different populations. He was working with combat vets, um, other people. Anyway, he invited people who were working with abused kids and burn victims and all sorts of natural disasters. And we were trying to study the common features of trauma. And um, what became clear was that interpersonal violence had much more profound effects than say an auto accident or a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. That there was a spectrum of post-traumatic stress 
that went from a single incident that was not malicious, you know, that was an accident, truly an accident or, or a, you know, act of God um, to a single incident interpersonal violence to mm -hmm. prolonged and repeated mm -hmm. interpersonal violence. And then at the extreme end, you know, prolonged and repeated abuse starting in childhood. You know, and that at that end of the spectrum, it was a much more complicated picture than just, you know, the, the triad of hyperarousal, um, intrusive memories, mm -hmm. nightmares, and a numbness. That, that you would, that those were the common features of PTSD across the spectrum, but that the further you went out in the spectrum where, you know, these were consequences of extreme interpersonal violence over a long period of time, you saw much more impact on uh, relationships, identity, mm -hmm. the person's sense mm -hmm. of being deserving to live. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, so, um, so that's really what led to my um, mm -hmm. developing the concept of complex PTSD. Yeah. Uh, and then when you went back and looked at what people meant by hysteria in the 19th century, it was complex PTSD. So Freud was right the first time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and wasn't there something about him um, talking about it being it was sexual abuse, and then he went back to what's yes, that's right. Um, I mean, he published a paper in 1896 called "The Etiology of Hysteria," mm. and he compared it to the discovery of the of the source of the Nile. Mm. This was the you know, era, the era of colonial exploration. Mm -hmm. and the, um, this was gonna be the, the big discovery in psychiatry and mm -hmm. he was completely ostracized by his peers. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just, he was talking about, you know, his patients were kind of the upper bourgeoisie of Vienna. Wow. I mean, so, you know, how could mm -hmm. that possibly be? Wow. And so he retracted, mm -hmm, he, mm -hmm. you know, he was an ambitious guy and he wanted recognition. And if mm. this wasn't gonna be the source wow. of the Nile, he wasn't gonna go, I mean, he wasn't mm -hmm. gonna go there. And, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think anybody can deal with trauma when they're isolated. Mm -hmm. I mean, that goes for patients and it goes for, in you know, psychiatrists. Yeah, for so sure. For sure, yeah, wow. So, so that, you know, that your book coming out, just like I said, it, 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 for, for, for all of us who were experiencing that and didn't have words or recognition or validation, now we had it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a surprise to you that it's still like, it's taken a long time. I mean, you wrote that 30 years ago yep. and, and, you know, it's taken time for 
people to grab onto that for for it to be taught? I don't even know if it's taught in universities. It is. Um, uh, but it's but trauma in general is still hmm. under recognized mm -hmm. in the mental health professions, yeah. I think. Um it's um it's given the prevalence, given you know how widespread it is, um it should be part of you know psych 101. Yeah. And um sometimes it is, but a lot of times it isn't yeah. still. Um, and and there again, I think it it does really take a you know the the argument in trauma and recovery was that it takes a political movement mm -hmm. to validate or recognize survivors, and that if you don't have that, then you can't. It's, you know, people prefer to look the other way. They mm -hmm. you know it's an ugly topic. Mm -hmm. People don't want to deal with it if mm -hmm. they don't have to. Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, I, that's why I think, you know, uh, when you see something like Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement, you're going to get a lot more awareness mm -hmm. than when you're dealing with the backlash. Yeah. Yeah. So now yeah. your new book that's coming out in March next month. And it is called, uh, I have it in front of me, Trauma, no, Truth, Truth, and Repair. How Trauma Survivors Envision Justice. I was telling you before we recorded, the whole thing is un underlined. There's so much in there. Um, where do you want to begin with that? I mean, I, I, I have like, even my first page, I've got like all these things that really stuck out for me. Um, apology and how and you know the recognition and what what survivors really want and so where do you want to take this there's so much well um maybe we can pick up with the idea that you need a social movement okay to um really have recognition for survivors mm -hmm. um because you know the and I really do think of Truth and Repair as kind of a sequel mm -hmm. to trauma and recovery, because if the argument in trauma and recovery is true, which I, and I really think it is, and that is that this is not an individual psychological problem. I mean, it is, yes, it is that as well for survivors, but, but it's a social problem and a political problem as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so, if that's true, then recovery can't just be an individual matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it mm -hmm. there has to be some social healing as well as individual healing. Yeah. And and so that's really what led me to this idea that, you know, maybe beyond the three stages of individual recovery that I kind of outlined. Um there's a fourth stage um which has to do with social healing mm -hmm. and may you know if if trauma originates in a injustice well then doesn't recovery involve justice mm -hmm. and i mean i i think i was led to this also by um 
my uh, patients because yeah. all the patients we saw at Victims of Violence Program mm -hmm. because, you know, they, a lot of times, they felt as hurt yeah. by the way the bystanders yes. behaved mm -hmm. uh, or even more so um, yeah. than by what the perpetrator did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the people that enabled the perpetrator mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. chose mm -hmm. to look the other way, yes. didn't believe them or, you know, blame them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, basically allowed this to happen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I picked that up uh, in the book and I was like, yes, I haven't heard anybody name that. And as you did, I'm like, yes, because even when I think about it, there's the perpetrator, but then there's what you're describing mm -hmm. there. That comes to mind a lot. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, that started also with the first book about incest because a lot of the survivors um, we interviewed for that book um, were much more hurt by what their mothers mm -hmm. did or didn't yeah. do. Yeah. They, you know, they felt abandoned by their mothers. Now, a lot of times the mothers were not in any position mm -hmm. to protect them because they were ill themselves. Uh, physical illnesses, mental illness, addiction, and a lot of them were battered. Mm -hmm. um, and, but to the, from the point of view of a kid, yeah. my mom is the one who's supposed to yeah. take care of me and, mm -hmm. and, and look out for me. And mm -hmm. the fact that she may be totally disempowered herself mm -hmm. um, and, or totally terrorized um doesn't enter into it it was like where was my mom where was my mom yeah. and um and if they wanted healing a lot of times that's who they wanted it with mm -hmm. you know they wanted mm -hmm. um uh one of the things that i did with a close colleague emily Shatso was mm -hmm. we um we developed kind of a protocol for family disclosures and family confrontations for a lot of survivors as a you know had never had been warned never to say anything as children and they were too frightened mm -hmm. um, but they as adults they wanted to tell their mothers or their sisters or, mm -hmm. um, and so we we realized that that kind of healing was very important. She had a lot of family therapy experience. So we kind of developed a, a method for preparing people for mm -hmm. those encounters. And, um, and sometimes they happen in our offices and, um, and we saw how important that was. And a lot of them, I mean, some people wanted to confront the perpetrators, but, a much smaller number than mm -hmm. wanted the healing with their mothers. Um, and so, so that was kind of our model for, mm -hmm. you know, doing the, the, <coughs> excuse 
excuse me, um, doing the necessary healing work with bystanders. And, mm -hmm. um, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the, um, when you're generalizing to, um, to wider forms of violence and exploitation, that's what we saw over and over that mm -hmm. the survivors, first of all, they wanted the truth to be out there. Yeah. That was everybody, everybody. I mean, we, I interviewed 30 survivors mm -hmm. um, of either child abuse, um, sexual abuse, uh, sexual assault, uh, sexual harassment, sex trafficking, intimate partner violence, the whole spectrum of, you know, crimes, gender-based violence, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, mostly women, but a few men as well. Mm -hmm. And that every one of them, the first thing they wanted was mm -hmm. they wanted the they wanted the truth out there and they wanted the truth to be validated. That is to say, not just the facts, but the harm. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the you know the the fallback position for the perpetrators, if they can't denial and secrecy aren't going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. Is so. What's the big deal? Get over it. You know, why are you whining now? That was a long time ago. Forgive and forget. You know? mm. Um. Well, you were always a little mentally off. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Either that, or you asked for it. You know, so. Mm -hmm. um, so they wanted the the shame and the blame placed where it belonged. Um, so they they wanted the crime to be recognized and the harm to be recognized, and they wanted the public to denounce the crime mm -hmm. and say you didn't do anything wrong. Right. You know, uh, yeah. This is the perpetrator is the one who's responsible. Yeah. Um, and that that was the big thing that everybody wanted. Yeah. Um, and then when it went past that, people were mixed about, you know, well, so what should happen? What would make things right? Um, surprisingly, um, punishment didn't come up a lot. Money didn't come up a lot. Um, revenge didn't come up a lot. Mm -hmm. And forgiveness didn't come up a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what they some people want an apology from the perpetrator a lot of people didn't a lot of people said i would never trust an apology from him anyway he's not capable yeah you know he he it would just be a you know he'd be lying one woman said this was she'd been abused by her brother she i think he'd enjoy talking about mm -hmm. what he did mm -hmm. you know um mm -hmm. and and then she said in any way if he apologized, then I'd be under pressure to forgive him. And mm -hmm. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. um, some people did want an apology. Very rarely did they get one. Um, but, and and so if people were going to confront the perpetrators, one of the things we always advised them was, well, what if you don't get the apology mm -hmm. you want? You know, what if you get all the blaming and shaming, you know, all that? 
And if they said, oh, well, then I'd be devastated. They said, don't do it then because mm -hmm. you're putting your, you're giving him the power to determine the outcome. Yeah. So, but if you just want to confront him because you want, you want to say, this is your problem, not my problem. You know, this is your responsibility. And you will feel like it's a success just by saying that. Statement, mm -hmm. Then, okay, you know, then then we think it's, you can, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting yeah, because, oh, yeah, in the book, um, you talked about this one case uh, th that went beautifully. I can't remember who it was, but you know, the the, the mother was able to uh, apologize and really. I let, you said somewhere, it's not even the words, it's the emotion. In other yeah. words, it's like the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was Rosie McMahon, who mm -hmm. uh, wrote a wonderful book that came out last year called Fortunate Daughter. Mm. Um, yes. Fortunate. Fortunate Daughter. Um, and I'm, I'm allowed to say this because Rosie's the one who kind of outed us. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was the... Um, I was the person who worked with her yeah. mom mm -hmm. and her parents and my colleague, Emily Schatzel was her therapist for years. Wow. And that, I mean, but that took, I mean, Rosie started treatment with us when she was 12 and um, she was 26 when she had the family confrontation. Wow. So. That's you know, yeah. and she wasn't in treatment all that time, but she, but yeah. off and on she was. And um, so it took her, you know, it yeah. took a lot of work by the whole family. And, um, and, uh, and uh, it was, and, it was wonderful, but you did say that it's, that it's often rare. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit. Sure. Well, all of us would like to have that, mm -hmm. you know, come to them, say, please don't interrupt me. Let me yeah. speak about the impact that this has had on me, yeah. um, both with the, the perpetrator, but also with the bystanders. Right. But, but the way that I see it from experience, too, is that often the ones that have done it, not all the time, but a lot of the time, they didn't have the capacity to have empathy or feel what how their behavior impacts another. How is that going to change today? Well, the answer is I don't know, and I don't think any of us knows. I know. Um, because yeah. we've invested so little in yeah. even wreck. Well, first of all, most offenders get away with it. I mean, mm -hmm. with you know, sexual assault, which is probably the least complicated of the forms of gender-based violence. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your odds of getting away with it are about 99 and 100. It's just so discouraging, yeah, for, yeah. The, for the... So, mm -hmm. um, so the, 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 the perpetrators that actually face the criminal consequences mm -hmm. are a very unrepresentative sample um there's much more psychopathology than what one sees in these you know guys who were quote unquote the pillar of the community mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. i mean it got so bad that 
And when anybody described a guy as a pillar of the community, I started <laughs> thinking, oh, I know what he's up to, you know? Yeah, um, right. But, um, uh, and, and the only offender treatment that's ever been studied in any death uh, is with convicted offenders because mm -hmm. most guys don't volunteer mm -hmm. exactly. Um, I mean, there's a little more data with domestic violence, mm -hmm. but even then it, most people, if they're not court ordered into treatment, they're not gonna do it. Mm -hmm. um, and the track record with sexual offenses is not very impressive. Now, with a, you know, with a wider population, if that, you know, if we ever got around to really studying sex offenders mm -hmm. and holding them accountable and um, mandating them into some sort of reparative program how many of them I, we don't know how to instill empathy in people who don't have it you know? yeah well I anyway I, I I've come to my in my old age as I've as I've you know you know you start with thinking at the beginning oh you have these dreams that they'll say sorry but from my experiences when I did personally try to put the words I actually put the words in their mouth and it came back and it was like those are my words you're saying it means nothing you know right, right. yeah so, so I, yeah I often just say you know um that you know they may not be able to do that but you might be able to find empathy through other um other people that care about you you know be it a therapist be it a great friend or you're talking about a community right right I mean that's why I think groups are so important yeah. for mm -hmm. child survivors because yeah. People have, often have much more empathy for each other than they do for themselves. Yes, yes. And um, and then we challenge them in our survivor groups when they tell the, some of their story. Then they, you know, they take a certain amount of time to tell their story, and then they get feedback. The other group members give feedback, mm. and. So they're not just telling the story for the sake of telling it. They're also telling it for the sake of being heard and really mm -hmm. understood. And, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then after the, the, you know, and we model giving empathic feedback, but mostly the survivors in our groups are very good at it. You know, they've been there, they know, you know. And, um, and then we challenged the person who just shared some of her experience to take in the feedback. Oh, you know, <laughs> that's nice. Actually, take it in. Yeah, yeah. To and not to sort of push it away. Well, yeah. but I'm different yeah. because blah yeah. blah blah. You know, whatever the reason. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, uh, so it's that that recognition and empathy mm. from, from a community, and even if it's a kind of um, a kind of invented community of a group mm -hmm. that, um, and that seems to work 
very mm. well for survivors um, of diff many different kinds of mm. combat vets, for refugees, for um, uh, uh, people who have uh, been political prisoners, mm -hmm. torture survivors, I mean, Mm -hmm. so yeah um so I think, I, again it's it's the reconstitution reconstituting a, a community where one feels cared about and that one belongs and that mm -hmm. uh and and validated and, and understood yes 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 yeah i was going to say in your book i mean um, the reality of the justice system um, is not always in favor of, I mean, even the way with the, the, the way that when a, um, a survivor comes to, um, to come to talk about what happened, there's, they have so little power yes. in, yeah, in sharing. And then they're, you know the 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 defense lawyer is all over them, and it's really it's a traumatizing experience. Yeah, well, I I used to say that if you wanted to invent a system for aggravating the symptoms of post traumatic yeah. stress, a court of law would probably be yeah. ideal. Yeah, <laughs> really, because um, it is a hostile environment. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. as a as a victim you you don't have a, you you don't have any agency um mm -hmm. uh and one of the people i interviewed for the book who was a domestic violence survivor said you, you um make up your mind to the fact if you're going to go to court make up your mind to the fact that you're just going to be a cog and something turning and mm -hmm. even though you know much more about the facts of the case than anybody else yeah. you're just a witness and um just be prepared mm -hmm. for your own peace of mind to throw any ideas you had about justice out the window so yes i think we can do better mm -hmm. yeah uh let's see there was so much great 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 stuff. Just, uh, yeah, I already mentioned it about the the apology. And what did I write here about empathy? Um, yeah, just, I mean, you, you, you were talking about, and you've already mentioned this, you know, what was mu much more important to survivors was, was, was having their voice heard. And, um, you know, that was the piece that was important, not the, you know, send them to jail or punish them or it was and I think we could really relate to that because that's where the healing mm -hmm. happens yeah yeah I think that's right and I think the the people who actually did go to court and I mean six out of the 30 people I interviewed actually went through the whole criminal justice process to a conviction and a prison sentence, which is so rare. Mm -hmm. And they said the reason they stuck it out, because it was tough, mm. it was very tough. Um, and, you know, hard on their mental health. And That's anyway. what I was saying, re-traumatizing. Yeah. 
Yeah. But they stuck it out. They said, I mean, one said, I knew, I, I just knew he was going to, I wasn't the first, mm. and, you know, but I wanted to be the last. I just knew he was going to do it again. Okay. If he got away with it and I couldn't live with myself. Mm -hmm. if that mm -hmm. happened, you know? mm -hmm. And another one said, um, she'd been raped at a party by a boy she knew from high school. His father called up her father and said, you know, how much do you want? Can't we just forget about it? You know, and the cops told her he's, he'd done this to four or five other girls and nobody would press, you know, when, mm. and they saw what was, they would have to go through to testify mm -hmm. they were too you know they just couldn't mm -hmm. deal with it and she said i wish you know if some one of those girls had gone forward maybe this never would have happened to me mm -hmm. and so she stuck it out um, mm -hmm. um and uh so uh I think he still got off though without a prison term that particular mm -hmm. case. Um, I mean, he, the fine young man narrative, you know. How, yeah, yeah. Um, this fine young man, and you know, he's going to a good college, and and she's a and she's a she's a college student, and she was drinking too much at party. And do you know what she was wearing? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the justice system can definitely do better by survivors. Um, I mean, and I think, yeah. you know, for people who are in subordinated groups, you know, the, it's the, the fact that the system supports the perpetrator, that, you know, the out, the greatest outrage, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and guilty, un, no, innocent until proven guilty. Like, Instead of, I think you said this in your book, instead of like sh sh the impact, like that should be the first thing, but it's. It, well, it, no, I mean, I do think in criminal cases, there's a reason why the standard of evidence is so high mm -hmm. um, and the presumption of innocence, um, because the state has so much more power. Mm -hmm. the, the state is pressing the charges. It's not a civil matter where one per you know one citizen is accusing another. It's mm -hmm. the state. The prosecutors are the ones who bring the charges, mm -hmm. and so they have much more power than any in individual. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I think there's a reason why that's you know, part of the constitution, um, mm -hmm. you know, and is to protect citizens from abuses of power by the state. Um, but you can still have due process mm -hmm. and give a lot more protection to survivors and a lot more support mm -hmm. uh, than the courts offer now. And, um, and you can, I mean, certainly the kind of hostile cross-examination that survivors have to endure. There's, there's no, it, there's no reason why limits can't be placed on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So, um, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna come to a close, um, and I will put your put the book. Um, it's it's out. Is it out on pre-order? Like, can yes. you order? Okay, so that's good. And the date that it is officially released, do you know when that is? March I'll find. March fourteenth. March fourteenth. Okay, great. This is the book, everyone. It's so good. And then I'm gonna get it on audio when it eventually goes on audio. Um, yeah, there'll be an audio book. Yep. It was just great. And I so appreciate your time. Is there anything you want to say just before we close? No, I think we've kind of covered the territory. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. It was a, an honor and a pleasure to spend time with you today. My pleasure as well.